this is season three of the Done Deal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investment, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. So again, thanks very much, everybody, for joining me. Awesome to um, have you all on board. Um, by way of at least brief background, um, what we're aiming to do uh, for today is talk about um, player contracts. But um, as always, um, all of the materials or rather all the videos will be uploaded straight away afterwards so everyone can get access to it. Please keep spreading the word as much as you can. It's great to have so many um, uh, nice words said about um, the, the course, um, fantastic questions coming along still, and we'll make sure there's lots of time for those as well. So again, uh, the structure more or less is for me to talk maybe for about 10 to 15 minutes, um, tops if possible, uh, and then for at least to be 10, 15 minutes worth of questions, I'll try and get through as many as I can. So um, I was going to break down uh, the topic of player contracts. So in, in my book, Done Deal, there's actually quite a lot of detail on it. I'd recommend having a look at that at some point. Um, uh, it's probably my longest chapter actually in the book. Uh, and I, I was thinking about today when I was preparing for this was to sort of uh, try and work out which areas um, I'd quite like to um, discuss about. And the, the three topics I came up with um, for at least a little bit of broad discussion um, relate to uh, what an appearance is and how it's defined in the player's employment contract and why it's so important. Um, number two, uh, is the difference between a buyout clause and release clause. I'm giving a few infamous examples, um, including the Luis Suarez um, example when he was at uh, Liverpool. And I already saw some of the questions that already come up now. The third one is uh, some of the strangest clauses reported. So I've got a, a section in my book. I'm just going to give a couple of examples of some of the strangest clauses that have been reported um, in player contracts. So if uh, the first topic in terms of player contracts I wanted to speak about um, was what is an appearance and why it is so important. So by way of brief background, at least anyway, the commercial terms of an employment contract are usually set out in um, a schedule to the contract. Um, it will be very least set out the player's weekly wage, for example, £50,000 a week, accommodation expenses, particular bonuses, etc., and for elite players at Premier League clubs, the schedule will contain usually a wide variety of clauses, including bonuses for appearance and or winning a game in a particular competition, usually uh, scoring or assisting goals. Granted that those types of clauses are becoming a bit rarer as well, if we can talk about that. Release clauses, which again we'll talk about um, when a transfer bid for a certain amount of money is made. And wage increase and reduction clauses uh, in case of promotion, relegation, and what the club will pay to the player's agent by way of commission. So they're the types of headline commercial um, um, provisions that will tend to be included uh, in a in the the player's employment player contract. Um, but I think what I wanted to sort of stress, at least for a few minutes, and go into a tiny bit of detail on, is actually just talking about. Um, the what, why usually when I'm helping negotiate contracts, 
Um, one of the areas that can be very specific and very important is the definition of what an appearance is. And, and usually why that's important is that, and I break it down in one of my blogs actually, is the difference between a playing appearance bonus um, and then after that what's typically called a wage increase um, appearance bonus. And I just want to separate those two up because they're important. So the reason why it's important is sometimes the definition of an appearance can be pretty straightforward and, and relatively narrow, i.e. starting a Premier League match, for example. But sometimes it can also be a set number of minutes that may be required, i.e. you have to start a Premier League match um, or play a minimum of 70 minutes, for example, of the game. And therefore, the definition of an appearance can be pretty crucial when I'm reviewing a, a draft contract, for example. So um, if appearance is defined pretty widely as being a, mem being a member of the matchday squad, this would obviously benefit more a young and up-and-coming player who might not be ready for um, a significant number of on-field minutes in the season, but who may still receive a squad bonus for being in the matchday squad at least. But if, for example, you're a... Uh, established EPL player and the club may only pay you for an appearance bonus pay an appearance bonus rather if you're actually in um, the starting lineup and therefore if you're not in the starting lineup uh, you're going to probably get paid um, a lot less so uh, an appearance bonus can usually be tied also to um, wins and draws i.e a player may only get the bonus if for example he plays or he or she plays 70 minutes for the team in an EPL match and the team wins um, Clauses can also be a little bit more nuanced so that um, an appearance bonus may differ depending on the competition that the player is playing in as well. So usually and typically EPL or Champions League, in my experience, um, appearance and a win bonus will probably be much larger than FA Cup and League Cup bonuses, obviously, because the, the former competitions are more lucrative to the club than, um, than the latter competitions. So ultimately, you know, in my experience, what can sometimes happen is um, a key element is probably important. A key element um, to consider is whether there is a set stipulated number of minutes a player must be present on the pitch in order to count an appearance. Obviously, if you're negotiating this as an agent, you want those to be as few as possible. And if you're negotiating this as a club, you want those as many as possible. And usually it's somewhere, um, somewhere in between. So that's on um, the first element. What, why appearance can also be very important is in relation to wage increase appearance bonuses. So a clause may provide that if a player makes a certain number of appearances, their salary may increase, let's just say, for example, from 90,000 to 100,000. Um, it's crucial to understand how appearance can therefore be defined as much will depend on the number of appearances, the number of minutes, as we talked about, um, and which competition the appearance relates to. So, for example, again, it might be um, if reaching £50,000 from £40,000 means you have to play in 50 appearances, and an appearance means at least 45 minutes in the Premier, in Premier League and Champions League matches, then as an agent, I think you probably, and a player, have to understand that um, even an EPL squad player may take a couple of seasons in order to reach such a target. So again, on the appearance side, at least, which is important, um, as, a, as an agent, ultimately what you've got to try and do is make those appearance clauses as obtainable and uh, realistic as possible. 
Um, again, what you may have with an appearance um, bonus as well is that a player may receive a one-off bonus of, say, £100,000 if um, the player reaches a set of milestone appearances. So, for example, £100,000 once they reach 50 Premier League matches, appearances, hundred um, uh, another £100,000 when they reach 100 first-team appearances, um, etc. And the same can also apply for um, international team recognition as well, when usually a player may get a senior call-up to um, international squad. It can be a query over whether an appearance is a friendly appearance, whether it has to be a, a senior competitive game, etc. So all of those things usually have to be taken into account. So that's the um, the first element, which is always really important to, to consider there, which is um, what is an appearance and why it's important. Obviously, hopefully you can see it's important because you want to try and get those appearance bonuses as a player. And you also want to get those wage ratchets, depending on the amount of appearances um, that you ultimately have. So I know that you, a few of you already had some questions on um uh, buyout clauses and release clauses. So I actually wanted to at least briefly talk about um, a couple of examples, set out the basics basically, and then uh, give a little bit of detail and, and give the example of uh, Mr. Luis Suarez, who quite regularly appears in um, in my book, Done Deal, simply because um, uh, he caused a sort of controversy and a claim in uh, equal measure, especially during um, his time at Liverpool. So. Um, let's start with uh, a release clause. Uh, so a release clause is a clause in the player's contract that becomes effective when the minimum selling figure set out in the player's employment contract is triggered by the purchasing club. The player will then be entitled to speak to the buying club. The clause may also be triggered if another condition is met, for example, on a particular transfer window or because a club doesn't participate to qualify for the Champions League or a club is relegated and that effectively crystallises um, a release clause. So the, the point of a release clause, at least in a number of the ones that um, I have uh, been involved in, is more or less to cater for a particular situation. Um, and that situation um, actually pretty much occurred in uh, the Luis Suarez example. So Suarez isn't the only example of where there was a particular clause query, whether it was a release clause or a best faith clause, which we'll talk about in a second. But in, in recent windows, we've seen, or not necessarily recent, Denver Bar moving from Newcastle to Chelsea, Joe Allen a while back moving from Swansea to Liverpool. More recently, uh, I believe it was reported that Liverpool triggered Benteke's Villa uh, release clause of £32 million. He then obviously subsequently moved uh, to Crystal Palace. So what happened uh, with Mr. Suarez? So um, it was the 2013 transfer window and Suarez was uh, still at Liverpool. Uh, and uh, it was uh, at least told by someone to Arsenal that um, that he had a £40 million release clause. So what did Arsenal do? They bid their infamous £40 million plus £1 pound in order to activate the clause um, because they presumably thought that anyone bidding over £40 million, pounds, the club would automatically have to accept um, that bid. Um, John Henry, the one of the principal owners of um, uh, Liverpool, currently now of FS FSG, wasn't particularly happy and tweeted to that effect. And the PFA, uh, at least were reported during that time and afterwards, that 
the clause in Suarez's contract actually was a good faith release clause rather than an automatic release clause. And the, the two are pretty different because an automatic clause means that the player must be allowed to speak to a buying club if the minimum release amount is offered. Whereas a good faith clause means the parties would be required to negotiate in good faith at least once a bid has been made. So importantly, I think the point to note is, is that a good faith clause does not automatically mean the selling club has to accept the offer. So what happened, Suarez obviously didn't move. Um, he, in the end, um, moved to Barcelona a season after. Obviously, quite a lot of controversy because he bit Cellini in the World Cup, whether that reduced his transfer value. And um, and then, obviously, he's had a very good spell and continues to have a pretty good spell at Barca, even though I think he's out injured now for um, the remainder of the season, whenever it, whenever it starts up again. So, in comparison to um, uh, release clauses, I know there were a few questions already about buyout clauses. And the reason why there's sometimes a bit of a difference is uh, buyout clauses are pretty widespread in Spain for a particular um, uh, contractual reason. Um, it's not obligatory. It was, it was great. I had a conversation with some of the guys at FIFA, who, Spanish lawyers were explaining it's not obligatory to have a buyout clause in um, footballer contracts in Spain, but it is pretty commonplace. And what's different there is that they're usually set at a pretty high figure. It's not necessarily the true market value of the player, but the player must literally buy out his contract at the stipulated amount, although in practice it's the purchasing club um, in that in this in given example when Neymar moved from um, Barcelona to PSG, um, Barcelona um, sorry PSG effectively um, had to provide that buyout figure to La Liga offices or rather transfer that money and then that buyout was affected so that Neymar could then effectively start um, uh, uh, contract negotiations with PSG and then sign accordingly. So that that seems at least at a very, very quick level to be the difference between what buyout clauses and what um, uh, a release clauses. Now, the query that some have already come up with is actually talking about what if um, the club who has the player's registration, i.e. the selling club, refuses to release him. Um, and I think it, the, the simple answer is it's likely there would be an arbitration process, really. Um, and there would be something, uh, an arbitration provision, usually in the player contract, which would be a process to follow. And at some point, then a ruling would be on uh, be made on the validity of the um, uh, release clause, really. So um, that's what I wanted to mention on buyout clauses and release clauses. And what I then wanted to do for a couple of minutes as well, because I know there were a few questions um, on this, on some of the strangest reported um, clauses. I just wanted to give a couple of examples from my book, um, which made reference to some of the strangest clauses reported in footballer and, and manager contracts. So I'll try and just give three or four relatively brief examples, but hopefully they'll go to try and explain some of the strange idiosyncrasies that you sometimes see in, um, in player contracts. So Sunderland were reported to have inserted a provision that stopped um, Swedish international player Stefan Schwartz from travelling into space. Um, Stiginger Bjornaby, who was uh, a Norwegian left-back for Liverpool, uh, was forbidden from um, emulating his uh, father, who was an Olympic ski jumper, um, when Liverpool refused to let him ski when he was back home um, in Norway. Um, it was reported that uh, when Neymar was at Barcelona, his friends were flown to Spain every two months for an all-expenses-paid holiday 
um, in Barcelona. Some of those type of elements are actually quite um, um, quite common, i.e. a certain number of return flights home to a, a, an international player's um, uh, city and country over a particular period of time. That's relatively straightforward. Um, it was reported, and it's a while back now, when uh, Dennis Bergkamp was in his prime, that um, because he had a fear of flying, he insisted on a clause in his contract to ensure that he was not forced to fly on away trips. So, Sunir, I just see you've made that point about Burkamp had a no-fly clause. At least, what I, I'm obviously seeing that clause, but it was reported, yeah, that that was um, that was certainly the case. Um, a bit more of a stranger one with um, uh, Rafael Van der Vaart, um, the ex-Spurs player when he was at uh, Real Betis. When he moved there in 2015, it was reported that he could wear any colour of boots apart from red because red was the colour of Real Betis' local rivals, um, Sevilla. So um, there were just a couple of examples. There's a very, very um, uh, rather amusing one that I'll just probably just quickly mention, which is there was um, a pretty infamous player <clears throat> called Neil Ruddock that played for Spurs in Liverpool. And when he was playing for Crystal Palace, it was actually reported that he had a weight restriction clause inserted um, into his playing contract so that um, effectively, I guess, he could um, not come overweight and keep training and um, be in relatively good shape, ready for, um, uh, ready for matches. Um, and it was reported that um, they actually put a weight clause in his contract to make sure he wouldn't turn up overweight. The irony of it all was apparently that Ruddock was reported to have missed his debut because he didn't have um, shorts that fitted, uh, presumably because either he was still overweight or, um, you know, he didn't come in such extra large sizes. So um, that's just a brief overview. I've gone on for 18 minutes. Apologies um, as to the three areas that I wanted to talk about briefly today. The first is obviously what is an appearance and why appearance definitions can be really important in player contracts. Uh, the second is just at least briefly discussing the difference between a buyout clause and a release clause and giving the Luis Suarez example, um, and then just talking about a few of the, the strangest clauses um, reported. So let's, um, if I can, just uh, make this a bit bigger and take a look at some of the uh, questions that um, started to come through now. So. Um, yeah, so Mark O'Neill asked a really good one, <clears throat> good question, which is how easy is it to amend a player's contract in light of the corona situation and how is it affecting the season's end? Don't FIFA regs affect this? So, it's a, yeah, it's um, a really good point. I think unless um, both parties agree to uh, an extension, if a player is out of contract on the 30th of June, then it sounds like it would be. I feel it would be difficult to make the, the for the club to unilaterally uh, force a player to extend his employment contract. I think it's tricky. Um, so that's that. Um, Vashun, can you speak on the incentive-based aspects of player contracts, appearances, goals, clean sheets? Thanks, Vashun. So the the short answer is. Um, there's definitely been a trend, uh, and I mentioned in the book as well, um, moving away from individual incentives and towards team incentives. So there are obviously still some clubs that pay goal and assist bonuses, but on the whole, there is certainly a move away from individual bonuses into uh, team bonuses. So winning and appearing 
rather than um, scoring goals and assisting, even though that is still certainly the case. Um, John asks a question, which is, uh, how do clubs protect academy players from getting poached from bigger clubs? Um, I would like, if possible, then to have another session on that, actually, because that's a really great one. The short answer is it's quite difficult. Um, and it's difficult when players go to scholarship agree agreements, which in the UK can be started um, at 16. Um, players can then sign professional deals at 17. And usually what will happen is um, teams will try and get players to sign it to scholarship agreements at 16, which then automatically transform into uh, professional deals at, um, at 17. And what usually then can happen, which is a, somewhat of a disincentive, is that if a player, even on a free transfer in England, moves at the end of his contract before the player is 24 years old, there is still compensation to be paid. So at least then um, uh, players could still, or rather clubs can still receive some compensation for the training and everything else that goes on um, from that. Um, Sinir, so uh, you have asked, um, are player contract terms done in years or seasons? If, for argument's sake, the season is cancelled as well as next season, will a five-year contract signed in 19 actually be a three-and-a-half-year in the summer 21? Usually, um, the employment contracts that I see are for a particular period of time. So usually contracts will um, uh, expire on the 30th of June of a particular year. So that's the short answer there. Um, Panagotis, you come up with a good, great question, which is, could you please elaborate on the players' guarantees that have signed a pre-contract with a new club with a view to signing a contract effective as 1st of July in view of the extended season? So I think the, the, the question there is, is that what happens for a pre-contract player that signs a pre-contract because they're out of season in the summer, um, but the season might not finish by the summer? And I think the answer is, is that um, the employment contract, at least first instance, my view is the employment contract would be valid, um, but they may not be able to register that player until the season is actually finished, um, which might cause a few um, few problems there. Um, let's go take one from Martin, Martin Newman. Hi, Martin. Um, where do players' image rights come in? So, uh, yeah, great question. I'm actually doing an image rights session on... Friday, I think. So I'm going to talk about it then. But the brief answer um, there is, is that what usually happens is when an elite player is joining an elite club, there are two agreements that are signed. One is the um, employment contract, which effectively deals with all of the players on field um, activities. And then there is an image rights deal between the club and usually the player's image rights company for a certain amount of money for the play, for the club then to exploit the player's image off-field, and that's a growing lucrative um, uh, part of the, the wider commercial pie for um, a lot of clubs and, and players. Um, Jack asked a great question on, do I think an implied term of mutual trust and confidence could have a substantial effect on any Man City player contracts following the club's FFP breach? Um, yeah, I did a podcast actually with John Merzard relatively recently. John's a brilliant sports law barrister that I work with a lot, and he mentioned that point. Um, I still think the short answer is is that it would take a very brave player to terminate their contract on that basis, but it certainly can be used as leverage for potential discussions that are going on. 
and I think also we've got an FFP session in a few weeks, so we can we can definitely talk about um, Manchester City in uh, in that context there as well. Um, let's keep going. Still some great questions here, uh, Barris. So another one regarding buyout clauses: Is it possible for a third-party club to trigger the buyout clause and pay the compensation directly to the club? Uh, buyout clauses. So let's just see, is it possible for a third party club to trigger the buyout clause and pay the compensation directly to the club? I'm not sure what you're saying there. If it's the, if it's a way round to get uh, a way round the buyout, then I'm, then I'm not quite sure what that means. Usually the buyout has to be paid by the club that is effectively buying out um, the, um, the, the, the player's buyout number. So that's the, the straightforward one there. Uh, Stephen, hey Stephen, uh, would you consider posting a contract from a few years ago with permission of the club and the player to illustrate some of your key points in annotated fashion? It'd be a great one if I could possibly do it. Um, I'm obviously bound by confidentiality um, and on my job for my job as being a solicitor as well and a, a lawyer more generally. If there was the possibility to get permission from the club uh, and the player, then that would sound like a great thing. And to be fair, a lot of the time, you could possibly just redact out all of the commercial terms and keep all of the particular clauses in. So it, it'd be a great thing to possibly do. Um, you just have to find um, a club and player uh, willing to do it. Um, Andrew, you say Alan Shearer's clause was the best I've heard of. Andrew, tell me about Alan Shearer's clause. I'll be keen to know. Um, Vasilis, thanks for your question. You mentioned the Spanish example and players paying. Oh, sorry, I've lost, uh, I've lost you there. Sorry, I went up too quickly. You mentioned the Spanish example and players paying their own release clauses. What is the stance of UEFA on these transactions regarding FFP? It's a good one. So, um, my understanding, at least, is that um, the club that ultimately benefits from the buyout clause would have to account for that and the club that is receiving the buyout amount would obviously still have to account for that for ffp purposes um ali thanks for the question how do you see uh covid19 affecting contract negotiations between clubs and agents do you see clubs putting in contingency clauses to safeguard their interest in such situations yeah i mean it's a really difficult situation at the moment because no one even knows when the season is going to finish. No one knows when the transfer window will um, uh, open. No one knows at the moment um, the uh, the revenue and money situation generally. So, you know, it's likely that things are being put on hold at the moment, at least until everyone has a bit more visibility on when games can be up and running again. Um, so, also, um Thanks for joining from Ecuador. Fantastic. How do you think the how do you think Brexit will um, affect a contract signed in the long term? Um, it depends when the contract signed. To be fair, so you know Brexit. The the main uh, impact of Brexit will be the ending of freedom of movement um, for players generally, which means effectively that players wanting to come into the UK that non UK um, uh, I guess don't have a UK passport. Um, are going to be under um, significant points-based restrictions. And we don't know quite what that system will be. Um, but there's no doubt that if that system is more restrictive and it's more difficult, then other countries may have competitive advantages uh, because those restrictions aren't in place. And there is obviously the 
think it's all, uh, through, I can't remember now offhand, um, the FIFA regulations, I think it's Article 17, um, in relation to um, uh, an exemption under the regulations in relation to um, being able to sign 18, 16 to 18 year olds, or rather 16 year old plus, if you're in a EU member state. The UK will lose that ability to be able to sign 16 year olds upwards um, when they, when we effectively have left the EU. Uh, yeah. Um, Daniel Harris, how do loans affect player contracts? Are they amended to the new club? Yeah, the, the basic position there is is that um, depending on the negotiation position of uh, loanee and loanor club, um, there might be a, a loanee fee. There may be a particular percentage of the wages that um, the loaning club pays. Uh, it may be that they pay all of the wages and then some loan fee on top of that. So, yeah, it can just depend on um, uh, on the particular circumstances. Uh, Dan Cumming, is there any truth to Neymar being given a private jet and a stake in a hotel chain <laughs> as part of by PSG as part of his transfer? No idea, I'm afraid. Um, Mazar, thanks for the, the question. Is a player coach obligated to inform payments that are beyond the contract? Owners giving gifts, cars and villas in view of FFP. Yeah, that, that would be um, potentially an issue under the FFP regulations if ultimately what is happening is owners or third parties are providing monies that won't necessarily show up um, in the FFP submissions. So, yes, that can be um, uh, a problem. Um Renegotiation from Andrew. Renegotiation is so important. Therefore, who should or would instigate the process? Um, if we're saying renegotiation of a contract, again, it just depends on the commercial appetite of the parties. Um, if clubs, if, if the player is doing exceptionally well um, and doesn't have long left on his contract, her contract, then it's pretty important for the club to get the player signed up. Um, the same might be the case from agents um, trying to push um, uh, enhanced deals for their players at different times, depending on the strength of, um, of their position or otherwise. Um, AF player agency, what happens if a bigger club sorted out academy players? Is there still training compensation to pay? Um, I'm not sure you mean sorted out academy players. Um, but there can still be um, compensation to pay depending on um, where the player is transferring to. That's either if it's domestic transfer, it's taken care of in the EFL or EPL rules. Um, otherwise, if it's um, an international one, then it's governed by FIFA. Um, so uh, let's try and go with someone that hasn't asked a question. Marco, do you think if the club and the player... Uh, want to have a short-term extension to the contract post 30th of June, that would be acceptable. I do. Um, I think that's going to um, uh, be a distinct possibility, bearing in mind the season's likely to finish after that date. Uh, and that's similar to question to what uh, Andrew has asked. Um, Nate, uh, in the MLS, the player signs contracts with the league as opposed to the club. What do you think are the pros and cons of the league having the player contracts instead of the club itself? It's a great question, and I haven't really considered it that much. So give that a little bit of time for me, and I can uh, get back to you on that one. Um, and I think we are basically at 30 minutes. Fantastic questions again. Thank you very much for everyone for joining. Just a couple of things as always. I just wanted to uh, recommend um, a couple of things as always. Um, I would highly recommend um, this book. Hopefully I'm going to do this every time as long as I have enough books left. 
This is called The Price of Football. It's by a great guy called uh, Kieran Maguire. It's come out relatively recently. If you're interested in the finances of football more generally, there's two people I'd recommend. Kieran in his fantastic book, highly recommend it. The other um, is Swiss Ramble um, on Twitter. He's absolutely fantastic. Um, he does loads of brilliant Twitter threads. Um, so I'd highly recommend this book. I'm starting to read it now. And Swiss Ramble um, from Twitter. Again, just want to mention all of my social media, which you can all see on um, on the, the link and follow me across lots of different social channels. Um, my podcast is still available and obviously my book is too. I'm going to try and find a way of starting to give away some books, hopefully as well, um, so we can uh, crack on with that in the coming days too. But thanks again for joining me. Awesome to have you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.